I'm Derek Thompson, the host of the podcast, Plain English. We tackle technology, politics, culture, history, everything that's happening in the world and why it matters. New episodes of Plain English drop every Tuesday and Friday on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays. And same-game parlays, all on one page. Plus, Start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and Bet Live. Same game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present. In select states, gambling problem, call 100 Gambler or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Welcome in. It is a Tuesday edition, earlier edition of New York, New York with yours truly, J.J. Johnson-Stremski. We're right here on the Ringer Podcast Network, and I should be in my glory. I'm still out in California. I'm still basking in the sunshine. I'm basically delaying my return to New York until maybe some of the snow says sayonara, and I should be in a really good mood, but I have to admit, the Knicks have broken me. And I've said this on a couple of different occasions throughout the last four to six weeks, but I think Monday night took the cake from this standpoint. The NFL season is over. It's done. Baseball, God knows when baseball is coming back. It, it could be nine weeks from now. It could be 12 weeks from now. But I have nothing to look forward to there. I have nothing to look forward to with my alma mater, Syracuse, that won't be playing in the NCAA tournament. I needed the Knicks. I needed them to give me something going into the spring. Not that a win over the Oklahoma City Thunder would have provided that, but a loss and the way that game went down with, with OKC missing two of their best players. I'm watching the Knicks basically screw up the end of the game in the worst way imaginable. I'm seeing the Knicks challenge idiotic plays, not have a timeout at the end of the game. Randall taking awful shots. I don't care how good he was for three quarters. He stunk down a stretch, 
And then when the Knicks are playing in overtime, by the way, the minute you knew that game was going to overtime, the Knicks were screwed. I mean, I'm watching it basically on my way to dinner. Thank God I had a good Valentine's dinner, might I add. I wasn't going to let the Knicks ruin that. I like seven courses, all sorts of weird, unbelievable stuff at Napa Rose in Disneyland. Amazing. Amazing. The Knicks were not ruining Valentine's Day dinner. You know what sucked, though? Watching Randall throw the ball five feet in the garden crowd. Losing basketball across the board. Losing basketball. You're not even surprised at this point. And what's going to drive me nuts, and I think what's going to drive a lot of Nick fans nuts, is you look at the young players not playing on this team. How is Obi Toppin only playing eight minutes in last night's game? How is Cam Reddish not getting burned? He gave up a first-round pick for him. And look, let's be real about something, okay? If you think Tom Thibodeau is the biggest problem with the Knicks, you're a fool. This team is not that good. <laughs> Roster talent matters. Last year, I didn't think the Knicks were that good. They squeezed out every last win. They were fun. They were well-coached. They haven't been well-coached this year. Their defense... It's taking a major step back. The guys they brought in don't play a lick of it. Fournier don't play a lick of it. Kemba don't play a lick of it. Randall's defense is not as good. They're a bad defensive team from where they were. Bad. But Tibbs got to play the young guys. That's my critique for this head coach. The roster is the bigger problem. Hands down. The offseason. Find me a move right now, folks, that worked out for the Knickerbockers in the offseason. Find me a move. I await. The Randall extension? Eh. Fournier? Eh. Kemba? Eh. Resigning Burks? Oh, that's, the, that's really worked out over the last few weeks. He had a bunch of big fourth quarters. Calendar turned to 2022. Alec Burks stinks. You don't even want to see him on the floor. Looks totally out of place. Even the Derrick Rose extension, which I praised. Guys hurt. It's been a total shit show. And I'm not getting sucker back in. And this is going to be unpopular, and I think a lot of Nick fans aren't going to want to hear this because, listen, the team has done nothing but lose aside from last year in 2013 for two decades. The best thing that could happen to them is be in the lottery and actually have a good result in the lottery. Because maybe you get a game-changing player that can change the feel, the look, the hope of the franchise. And I don't think the Knicks will bottom out to a point where they're, you know, really cashing their chips. But the idea that they're going to be a playoff team, that they'll even be competitive if they get in, please, please, let's, let's be serious. Time to play the kids. And I hate that saying. It gets lame. It gets so overused. And I'm sick of saying it. I'll be perfectly frank. I'm totally sick of saying it. But I want to see young players play for this team. That's what Leon Rose and company need to stress to Tom Thibodeau. But you guys who want to call for a coaching change. You wanted to make Tom Thibodeau the mayor of New York City a year ago. Now, this year, the guy is just a total buffoon. You got to have some middle ground. And you got to have some perspective. You guys who are calling for a coaching change, look at the roster, look at the Eastern Conference, and tell me where exactly they belong. And he hasn't had a good year. I am not in any way trying to tell you that Tom Thibodeau has had this world-round year coaching the New York Knicks. Tell me the teams that they are better than. Go through the list, especially if you take Barrett off the court. But last night against the Thunder, absolutely rotten, absolutely disgusting. This has been bugging me 
over the last two days. And listen, the best part about being still out in California and doing this, doing that, is that I've avoided watching any of the shows or checking Twitter or anything along those lines. But when I see this Matthew Stafford Hall of Fame debate, it makes me want to throw up. Guys, he's going to play in the league for at least another five to six years. Is Matthew Stafford a Hall of Famer right now? Absolutely not. No. That's, I think, pretty obvious and pretty clear. If he plays five, six, seven more years, puts up numbers, maybe gets to another Super Bowl, maybe wins another Super Bowl, we might be having a different conversation. Let the career play out, for goodness sakes. Like, I, I think there are people in the media that just basically see something like this and they're like, oh, Hall of Famer right now. Yes, no, maybe so. Let the career end, and then let's have a conversation. Simple as that. One other note, as like the dust is settled now on Super Bowl 56, the idea that it is a given that the Cincinnati Bengals are going to be back in the Super Bowl, be careful with that. Listen, Dan Marino, who I adore and I love, and I didn't get to see him in his record-setting year, when he walked off that field and lost to one of the greatest teams of all time in the San Francisco 49ers, you think for a minute Dan Marino thought he wasn't getting back to the game? He probably thought he was getting back to the game next year and was going to win it. There are no givens. And the problem that Burrow and the Bengals are going to run into, look at the AFC. That is the conference you don't want to be in moving forward. The Chiefs are there. The Bills are there. The Ravens are always a tough out. We'll see if Lamar Jackson can win a big game, but you know I love that coach. You know I'd run through a brick wall for John Harbaugh. If the Chargers can escape their curse, they got a stud quarterback in Justin Herbert. We all know that. I've learned that the hard way, but they're kind of cursed. But I put them down to pecking order, down to totem pole. Colts have talent. Titans have talent. Like, it's a loaded, loaded conference. And the Bengals can't block. Yeah, go load up the offensive line. You got a shot. You can get back in the next couple of years. It might take some time, though. That's why when those opportunities are there, you got to seize them. And don't bellyache about officials. Bellyache about the fact that you had a touchdown followed by an interception, and you didn't drop the hammer, and you didn't build the two-score lead right then and there, because with the way the Ram offense was struggling, that might have been the difference. And I'm so geeked out about all of this maneuvering with the broadcasting stuff. Oh, I love it. Where's Al going? Is McVay going to retire and go into broadcasting? What is Amazon going to do? What is ESPN going to do? Like, we, we're going to have to have Marshan on over the next couple of days, because, like, I get geeked out by this stuff, and I know a lot of people who are listening are like, JJ, do you really care who does the games? Yeah, I kind of do. I kind of do. Like, I, I have guys I like. I have guys they don't. And where guys are working intrigues me. It's like the media. It's the media dork in me. That's really the best way to look at it. I get geeked out by this shit. And if you don't, too freaking bad. Too freaking bad. Fun show lined up. So we still have some of our guys from Radio Row last week, the great Victor Cruz. You're going to enjoy it if you're a Giant fan. It's going to bring it back to much happier times if you're a Giant fan. He's going to join us. Jerome Baker of the Miami Dolphins, one of my favorite players. One of the Man of the Year nominees going to join us. But you know who's leading it off? The legend himself. The Nets 
have a new look to him. He's got a new book out. Had a major problem with Oakley going after Ewing, by the way. Really did not sit well with me. And I love both of those guys. I saw that stuff. It bothered me. So we had to have Frankie Isola on. It's been a while. The Iceman is up next. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, I'm fired up. We're welcoming back the media superstar that he is. Yes, Network, Around the Horn. Now he's got a book with Charles Oakley, Frankie Ice. Frankie Isola, how are you, buddy? JJ, what's up? I was watching the Super Bowl, one of these shows, and in the background, I see you sauntering around. You had your backpack on. I think you were signing autographs, hanging out with all your boys at the ringer. I think Kevin Clark might have been interviewing Russell Wilson at the time. You know, he so might have been uh, signing so Subway sandwiches. Uh, I don't know if I was there for that. That was the star-studded slow news day effect. But I'm glad that you saw me rocking the Under Armour backpack, getting to work in from New York, New York. Frankie Ice, all of the media superstars were out at the Super Bowl. Where the hell were you? <laughs> you know, I've never been out of like all, like, you know, I've been to the World Cup. I've been to the Olympics. never been to the World Series. Been to, obviously, NBA Finals. Even been to the Stanley Cup Finals. I've never been to the Super Bowl. And I will say this, I do love the Super Bowl. And I, I kind of feel like it's the last holiday of the winter season. I, you know, I just love the whole day and I love the food around, watching the game, the commercials, the halftime show. Unfortunately, I forgot that the, the next day was really the last holiday of the winter season, which was Valentine's Day. And when you're married and you forget that, that's not necessarily Oh, boy. Thing. So trouble, <laughs> trouble in paradise in the Isola household is what you're telling me. Hey, let me let me tell you something. My kids right now are both out of the house. One's in school. One's been traveling for about three years. There's trouble in here every day. Don't kid yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. And now I see why you have as many zillion jobs as you do from radio in the morning to the Yes Network at night. And you even found time to write a book. And listen, I love it, Frankie. I love you and Oak. You're two of my favorites. But I haven't had Oak on yet. We're working on it. He's done like 10 zillion other shows. He clearly prioritized Bill Simmons over me, which is fine. But were you surprised with the way Oak went after Patrick Ewing? I know you were tight to that Nick team. You covered that Nick team. Did you kind of have a sense that there was friction when you covered those guys? Or is that something you discovered as you sat down and talked with Oak about the book? I I think, you know, when you... I think that Charles Oakley always feels this way. If I'm your teammate and we're in the locker room, I'm going to do everything to try to help us win. I'm going to do everything to try to help you be a better player, better teammate. It, that stuff is never going to manifest itself on the court. It's never going to be revealed like that. Now, once he's been out of the league for a while and looked back at things, maybe there's some bitterness about not winning a championship. I know we talked about how Akeem, you know, in the moment of truth, carried the Rockets and he felt that Patrick should have been the one carrying the Knicks. So the whole thing is strange because if the, if the Knicks are one shot away, one John starts away shot away in game six of winning a championship. And it tells you kind of the fine line, you know, between winning and losing and, and the impact it could have. John Starks makes a shot, uh, you know, in game six and the Knicks win the title. Not just Patrick Ewing's numbers hanging the rafters. Charles Oakley and John Starks, their numbers are going to be hanging the rafters. 
because they're going to go, you know, they're going to be remembered as champions. And really the future of the Knicks from that moment could have really changed as well. But, you know, when we were, you know, when I was, um, you know, it's an as told two books with Charles Oakley. And, you know, I, I went back at him a couple of times saying, man, why are you saying this about Patrick? Because, you know, I, there were, you know, stats that were pointed out in the book where I did like a lot of research where Patrick did come through in a lot of moments. But uh, I, I also think, John, I think a lot of it has to do, but they didn't feel that Patrick uh, came out and supported him enough after the thing that happened at the guard. So I think a lot of that, uh, um, that's part of the issue that he has with Patrick as well. I don't think there's any doubt. And listen, you know Oak well. Was there a favorite story that maybe you didn't know about, Frankie, that he told you that was like, holy smokes, wow, this is awesome as you're sitting down and compiling all these stories? You know, it's, you know there's, there's so many. And, you know, obviously his issues that he had over the years with guys like uh, Dennis Rodman, Isaiah Thomas, but clearly his friendship with Michael Jordan has stood the test of time. I mean, he went to the Chicago Bulls um, when Michael was in his second year. Charles came in as a rookie, and right away, uh, Michael Jordan took a liking to Charles. He liked the way that he played, liked the way that he worked. They became friends. And then, you know, Charles became his bodyguard kind of on the court. And to this day, he's really his bodyguard off the off the court as well. And there's a, there's a pretty good story about the two of them. You know, they, they're both retired players. And, uh, you know, Michael, they were going to go down to Miami. He's during the NBA Finals. They were going to go to a game, but they were going to play golf as well. And he called up, uh, Michael called him up, and he told him, I'm going to come pick you up. Uh, you know, on a private plane, of course. I think he went from Charlotte to Atlanta to get Charles, who, you know, has houses everywhere, lives everywhere, but he's in Atlanta. And he kept telling Charles to not be late. So sure enough, and Charles is one of these guys that he is on time. There was major traffic that day. So Michael's plane, the private plane lands, wants to know where Charles is. And Charles is saying there's traffic. So Michael's ticked off. So when he finally shows up, Charles gets on the plane. They're not going to fly to Miami. And Michael, you know, being competitive, but he's mad, so they start playing cards because Michael's always gambling. And what happens? Charles ends up winning. So he wins, you know, a lot of money for Michael in that short flight from Atlanta to Miami. So now Michael's really upset. He's upset that they're kind of late. He's very upset that they lost money. And when they get off the tarmac in Miami, wherever, you know, wherever airport they're flying into with this private jet, when they walked out on the tarmac, Charles didn't realize because he was rushing off the plane. He had the, uh, a lot of the money in his bag and the wind uh, blew and the money went all over the tarmac. So the two of them are running around the tarmac trying to pick up, you know, 50, you know, $20 bills, $100 bills, and they're blowing everywhere. Michael just says, you know, the heck with it. He didn't use the word heck. He said, we'll just go to an ATM. I'll get you your money. So, and, they, and they just left. And there's, you know, there's money all over the tarmac. So some lucky person walking around at some point was probably, because you know, eventually it's going to blow against the fence, right? You always like paper and stuff against the fence. Somebody's going to walk away with a lot of money. Could you imagine, by the way, the Frank Isola appearance at one of the Charles Oakley, Michael Jordan card games? I, uh, that's a little bit out of our, maybe you could pull it off with your budget. I don't know if I could pull it off with my budget. Well, Just saying, Frankie. Well, Just saying, bro. Well, this, this is a true story. So so early on, one of my first, I think it was my first year ever on the Nick beat. The All-Star Games, oh God, this is 25 years ago. It's hard to believe. The All-Star Games is going to be in Cleveland. So just as a joke. I walked up to Charles. I said, you know, it's a tradition that when the All-Star game is in the city, is in the hometown of one of the players, the players takes the media out. So he starts laughing. A week later, he says, where are you staying in Cleveland? So I said, you know, we're going to be at the downtown Marriott. He said, well, I'll pick you guys up on Friday night at 6 o'clock. So it was myself. It was Mike Wise, who was at the New York Times at that time. 
Barbara Barker, who's still at Newsday, and Steve Popper, who's at the Bergen Record. Now he's at Newsday. So the four of us went down, and sure enough, there's a limousine. It's Charles and his buddy. Picks us up. We go in a car. Takes us to some club. We get a drink. Then we go to his mom's house, uh, where he's having a huge party, but mostly just for his friends in Cleveland. Like his mom lives in the house. His sisters live there. And in the basement, it's like a nice, like modest ranch house. And in the basement, Charles has a room that his mom keeps. So he's got like three posters of himself in the room, like one of him playing for the Bulls, maybe a couple of him <laughs> playing with the Knicks. And then there was this other room where these guys, you could tell they were high rollers, were playing cards. And Mike Wise walks into the room to say hello to all these guys. And he looked like Flounder from the movie Animal House. When the guys, <laughs> guys playing cards, they all like turn and look at the looks on their faces were dude get out of the room we're playing we're playing cards but i thought it was cool because he had all you know i mean obviously scotty pippen is in town michael jordan is in town but it's charles with all of like his cleveland buddies it was a guy that played for the rams i think it was i'm pretty sure it was henry ellis if i'm not mistaken who was a buddy of his who was there he was like the only other athlete that was there it was just you know guys and girls from the neighborhood that were all hanging out if you haven't read the book yet it's a must if you're a fan of Charles Oakley, if you're a fan of like 80s, 90s NBA basketball, an absolute must read. All right, Frankie, let's get to these two local teams. You're doing all the net stuff on TV. Where did it all go wrong with James Harden? Last year, he fought in. He played for the most part. He played at a high level, gets hurt right during the postseason, and the Nets fall short. How did the relationship with Harden and the Nets get from last year, everybody's singing Kumbaya, to this year, Horn basically quit on the team like he did the Eastern Rockets. Yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I said it last year at the time because when he, you know, I said this on the yes number where I do the games. I said, I don't like the way that Hart handled his departure from Houston. I don't like that. It's the same thing with Ben Simmons. I don't like the way that Ben Simmons handled this situation in Philadelphia, even though in the end, they, but they both got what they wanted. And Harden, you remember, but, you know, there, there was a stretch there where, you know, Kyrie was, when he was ghosting the team for about two weeks, and Kevin Durant had a lot of issues. He was hurt. He also had the the stuff with COVID when they pulled him out of the game at halftime against Toronto. But James Harden was essentially carrying the Nets, and he was neck and neck with Jokic for MVP, and then Harden ended up having the hamstring injury, missed a lot of time, so that eliminated him from contention of winning the award. But he played so well, he played hurt in the playoffs, and he probably had no business being out there. You know, I, I have to think this whole thing with him and Kyrie Irving, that was an issue. The fact that Kyrie was only playing in the road games not the home games. And I think Kevin Durant going out and then it was just, you know, with an injury, then it's just the two of them. I just don't think the two of them got along very well. And I think it was creating a lot of trouble in the locker room. I think James Harden probably decided maybe a month ago, I don't really want to be here anymore. Now I've been hearing whispers from people around the league that he wasn't happy. And that goes, this goes back to maybe December. So the trade only went down in uh, mid February. So I think this was something that had been going on for a while. It's strange because, you know, they were six, they're amazing. They were 13 and three in the 16 games that Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and James Harden played together. The problem was they just didn't play enough. And, uh, you know, it, it ends with him doing to the Nets what he did to the Rockets 13 months earlier, forcing his way out. And I'd say, all things considered, Frankie, to go and get Curry, who can shoot it, to go and get Simmons. And I understand there's a question of desire and whether or not he wants to be on the floor, but. You're not asking Simmons to go and be the number one guy, like with the Knicks. Like, I thought Simmons for the Knicks would be a nightmare. The fans would be all over him. The expectations would be off the rails and off the charts. He goes and plays with a team with Kevin Durant. And if you could ever get Kyrie on the floor in these home games, he could kind of blend in. You're not going to have the media. You're not going to have the fans on top of him the way you would if it's the New York Knicks. 
I think all things considered, the Nets did pretty darn well in this trade. Do you feel the same way? Oh, uh, oh, I, I, I totally agree. First of all, I think both teams definitely helped themselves in the short term because James Harden, you know, they didn't have Ben Simmons playing in Philadelphia. They, they're having a good season. And beats having an MVP type season. Now you're going to get back one of the best guards in the league. And if he uses these next, you know, ten days to maybe even get himself in a little bit better shape, that'll help and get himself healthy. But for the Brooklyn Nets, they definitely help themselves in the short term and in the long term. You don't have Joe Harris right now. Who knows what his availability is going to be? So you you're essentially replacing him with Seth Curry. Then you have Andre Drummond. The Nets needed a big body. You know, they they, they you know they were games when Lamarcus Aldridge was out, and then of course Nicholas Claxton. It never seems like he plays. They needed. Uh, someone that, you know, just, just a body in there to kind of defend and can score a little bit. That's what he can do. And then from Simmons' standpoint, you know, he's going to get a chance to play with Kevin Durant, who's an unbelievable player, makes everyone else around him better. You're right about Kyrie. If Kyrie comes out, it takes some pressure off uh, Simmons. But Simmons is also going to have, uh, you know, a couple of hurdles to, to clear here. Is he going to be a guy that's going to be willing to shoot in the fourth quarter? That's big. He wasn't willing to shoot enough in those playoffs. He didn't even want the ball. And the free throw thing, like, I always say this, and I said this about Giannis all of last year when everyone was talking about his shooting. I don't really care about the three-point shooting stuff. The key is going to be free throw shooting because you want to be aggressive, and if you're at the rim, you're going to get fouled a lot. And look at the adventure that Giannis went on last year in the playoffs where he was shooting air balls. He was getting mocked by fans. The opposing players were counting how long it was taking him to shoot. And then in that closeout game against the Phoenix Suns, he had one of the, you know, he had, what was he, 18 of 19 or 17 of 19, whatever the heck it was. He had this, that incredible free throw performance where he scored the 50 points, one of the greatest closeout games in NBA Finals history. So that, that's where Simmons, that's where he's got to get better. You don't, come on, man. You could make free throws. Do you, I don't know if it's going to take a sports psychiatrist or just kind of working on it. Guys can improve from the free throw line. Carl Malone improved leaps and bounds from the free throw line over his career. Giannis, like I said, improved leaps and bounds over a two-month period during the playoffs, so it can happen. Okay, who's got a better chance this year winning a title? The Nets with this new cast of characters or Philly with the one-two punch of him beating Harden? Well, the, if, if Kevin Durant is going to come back healthy, I would still say the Brooklyn Nets because Durant is incredible. I they agree because he's yeah, the best you... player out of anybody in that group, Frankie. And let's be honest, if he's back and he's 100%, he's the best player in the NBA. Yeah. And John, I say this all the time. Everyone knows how great Kevin Durant is, but when you do get to see it, you know, night after night, watching him play, you you have a greater appreciation. The guy very rarely takes a bad shot. He makes the right play all the time. He passes out of the double team. He's a good teammate. He encourages his young teammates. He defends. He cares. He wants to win. And remember this too: when he was with the Golden State Warriors, and this includes the game where he blew out his Achilles uh, in Game Five up in Toronto, you know, he went nine and one intense finals games with the um, Golden State Warriors. That is not easy to do. It's hard to win one game in the finals. This guy in 10 went 9-1 and one in those games. Like he, and, and in the big games against LeBron and the Cavaliers, you know, he came up in the clutch moments. That's why he was the MVP in those back-to-back finals. So when, it gets, if, when you get to the playoffs and if everybody on every team is healthy, I still, I, to me, it's still going to be Milwaukee and Brooklyn because I think Milwaukee, having gone through it, I think they have supreme confidence. You know, Holiday is an absolute stud. Giannis, of course, doesn't fear anything. But Kevin Durant is just like a different level player, man. Look, look what he did in those games against Milwaukee in Brooklyn. When he didn't have Kyrie and he stepped hard on one leg and he was carrying the Nets. Those were incredible performances by him. I noticed you didn't include heat culture and heat media in that top 
group. Yeah, a <laughs> notch below. He well, maybe no, might no, be no, mad at you for that. No, and then I just I just wonder about their size because the one thing we always joke about the Miami Heat media, um, you know, because Miami got swept last year and it was like the Saturday afternoon of Memorial Day weekend when no one's paying attention. So we said it's like the perfect time to get swept by a team because no one kind of is really uh, paying attention to it, but they could not handle Giannis. They're, they're a little, they're a talented team, obviously well coached and they got tough players. So I just think they were a little undersized and Hey, the Nets went down there just recently with only Kyrie and a bunch of rookies and they came back from 21 points down, had a chance to win that game late. So I don't know with Ben Simmons, Kyrie, but especially Kevin Durant, I like the Nets chances. Okay, you're a Tom Thibodeau guy. I'm a Tom Thibodeau guy. Last year, the Knicks squeezed every last ounce of talent out of that team. They were the four seed. I think they had a lot of things working for them. They didn't have to play in the bubble. You get the Tibbs effect. Now they should have taken a major step back. The conference is a lot better. We know that. But the biggest frustration I have, Frank, and listen, I don't put the Nick year on Tibbs. The team is just not that good. Randall's taking a major step back. But he's got to play the young players. Like, this notion and this narrative that he doesn't develop young players is BS because Barrett has gotten better. A guy like Grimes has gotten better. But sooner or later, the veterans on this team, like Kemba, Fournier, I don't need to see them as much if they're eight, nine games under 500. How much are you putting the blame of this Nick year on Tom Thibodeau? Like, one being the least amount of blame, 10 being the most amount of blame. Where do you stand on Tibbs with the Knicks this year? And, uh, it's definitely not the most. I think everyone uh, deserves a fair share of the blame. And, you know, I think the front office, which, you know, really, you know, the job is to go out and you got to get better players. And what they did was they basically sacrificed defense for offense. And you took two guys that were on the Boston Celtics, a team that got smoked last year in the playoffs by the Brooklyn Nets. And you had Kemba Walker, who never played in the back-to-back all of last season. And the idea was, well, they're going to get him ready for the playoffs. And then he missed the last two games of the playoffs. And he couldn't play because of the knee. So he, he can't play enough minutes. I think Derrick Rose getting injured was big because obviously he and Tom are connected at the hip and he's a good leader. And I think he's respected by guys in the locker room. Julius Randle took a major step down, like you mentioned. It just hasn't, you know, and they haven't caught a couple of breaks. They just haven't played well enough. Defensively, they haven't played well enough. And I think you're right. I think it's going to get to a point. You know, when you do trade a first-round pick for Cam Reddish, eventually you have to. He he's got to gotta play, there. Frank. That's the thing. But, and a guy but, like Toppin is a first-round pick. He's got to play. All right, that, that's fine. But I will say this about Cam Reddish, which the Knicks fans com- conveniently ignore. You know, <laughs> Atlanta got to the conference finals this year without the guy playing at all. That's fair. And then the minute that's he fair. left, and then the minute he left Atlanta, they won seven in a row. So you know, the the idea that Atlanta, if, if the guy was worth anything, would trade him to the New York Knicks is absurd. But I, th- I think you're right, and there'll be times over these last 30 games. I think, you know, when you get a new player, just to stick him in the lineup, I don't know if that's the right way to do it when he really wasn't in the lineup in Atlanta. I, I just don't think that's something that, that's going to be good for the locker room. But I do think eventually you're going to get to a point where he, he should be playing more, and I think he probably will start playing more. And let's be honest, the biggest mistake they made in the offseason is bad as the Fournier contract ended up being, and Kemba Walker has given him zero. That Randall extension now, Frank, you think about it. They got the guy off an all-NBA year. He's never going to come close to being that player again. And now you have him for big money over the next couple of years. That's a disaster. And to me, the, the, the part that, you know, you could tell, too, that the pressure really gets to him. And it's not even, you know, yelling at the refs and, you know, wanting to fight the opponent or whatever. Like, a lot of guys do that. 
and not even you know getting short with the media, but when he was giving the thumbs down to the fans, and then when he was given a chance to kind of walk it back a little bit, and he easily could have said, hey, listen, I'm just having fun with the fans. They're booing me, so I gave them the thumbs down. It's all good. I'm good with the fans. But he came out, and he's like, I've been telling them to shut the bleep up. Really? That's what you're going to say? Take like, it on I, the I, fans like, in New York, Frank. You've been around forever. Who is the guy that is taking on the fans in New York that has won that argument? Nobody. And guess what? Why don't you go call up the basketball office at Georgetown? Go talk to Patrick Ewing about New York. He had a lot rougher than you did, Julius Randle. Patrick Ewing never would have been able to survive after a a first-round series like you had against Atlanta. So that's that's the problem when that's the leader of your team and you're kind of questioning, does he really have, you know, the mental makeup you know, to be able to handle this. Because once you become the number one guy, you have to go, what was it, seven games you went without even talking to the media? You're, the, you're one of the leaders on the team. You know, the best of times and the worst of times, Patrick was never going to be available before the games. He wasn't going to be your, you know, he wasn't going to chat you up. But after games, he was always there. And he always answered questions. That's, that's just that's just poor leadership on his part. And I know Tom has, like, defended him, you know, uh, to the bitter end. But, you know, Julius Randle, to your point, has had a, rough, rough season, and that signing right now is looking like a disaster. That's why when people talk about maybe him for Russell Westbrook, I know that could be a little crazy, but him for De'Aaron Fox, if the Knicks, if the Knicks could have done that, I would have done that. I would have done it in two seconds. Two seconds I would have made that trade, Frank. Two seconds. Because yeah. at least he has room to grow and has ability, dare I say, to get better. You're not getting a better version of Julius Randle than what you got last year. I, I, I mean, am I right or am I wrong? How are you getting a better version of that with the Knicks? You're not. And you hit on something too, you know. Most of the season was played uh, not in front of fans, so that's clearly going to be a lot less pressure. And then once you got to the playoffs, that was a good Atlanta team. Clearly, they made it to the conference finals, but you know there were fans in the building, and he just was not getting it done. It was kind of shocking. And then you look at the difference, right? Look at a guy like Trey Young, who basically had all of uh, New York coming after him. Even the mayor came out and said some stupid things about Trey Young. Oh, shocker. And, mayor of New York, former mayor of New York, saying some <laughs> shocking things. Oh, what a stunner that is. Instead of going after Trey Young, and you know, he responded to it. You know, He actually embraced kind of the challenge and the hostility where you could see Julius Randle wanted no part of it. The great Frankie Isola, a man of many talents. Are you ready for Syracuse and Maryland in the NIT this year? You ready? <laughs> Can you get the courtside uh, tickets? I was going to say, the beers are on me. You get the courtside tickets, and away we go. And how, how about the fact that Maryland, like, the, the coach resigned, Mark Turgeon resigned, like, right at the start of the season. When does that ever happen? Never. It's and Louisville weird. had the same problem. Louisville had Mac basically say sayonara midway through. So why, you might be throwing your running why, into that job. You never know. You never know. Why don't we just do this? Why don't we just have Syracuse go back to the Big East where they belong, and we'll have... Uh, Maryland go back to the ACC where they belong. That's that's the way it should be. I would make that trade. I would make that trade tomorrow. Love you, buddy. Thanks for a couple minutes, and uh, congrats again I, on the, the book. Last and fourth, the last and fourth is the book. Make sure you say it. I, I think I did already. You know, you want it, you want it tagged at the end of the interview. I can do that. But I did, I did give you the book title <laughs> at the beginning. Just, just saying. Just saying. All right. Thanks. You can fact check that. I'll, I'll keep up the good work, John. Get home, all right? It's, the Super I, I was going to say, old. I'm not tan enough. I've been spending too much time in that convention center. <laughs> Frankie Ice, thanks, buddy. All right, have fun. Frankie Ice never disappoints. We go from Frankie Ice to the Salsa Man, Victor Cruz, up next.
So I'm fired up to have a guy who won a Super Bowl for the New York Giants. It feels like yesterday, but in reality, it was a long time ago. He's here on behalf of Captain Morgan, my dude, Victor Cruz. What's happening, Victor? What's good? But you mean that wasn't yesterday, our Super Bowl? I mean, does it feel like it yesterday? It does feel like, it feel like I just woke up and we won all over again today. Like, Talk I don't know me what through is. that run, right? Because you guys that year, you're 7-7. Seven and seven. Mm -hmm. You lose to the then Washington Redskins. You have this huge game. Jets, Giants, it's Christmas Eve. The Jets are coming off back-to-back -back AFC title games. So a lot of people thought maybe this was the Jet time, that this was going to be the moment the Jets take over the city. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think Victor Cruz is still running for a touchdown <laughs> right about now. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, that whole run was just unlike any other thing that I've ever experienced as, a, as an athlete because it just felt like everything fell into place. No matter what went on throughout the season, we never wavered. We always stayed focused on our tasks and what we wanted to do. A lot of that was thanks to Coach Coffin that to keep us focused throughout those, you know, those those doldrums that happened throughout the season. And in those last couple games of the year, man, of the regular season, we just kicked it into another gear. And I think I just wanted to make sure that I put my best foot forward and just made a play when I was called upon. And, you know, the 99-yarder was one of those joints where third down, third and long, we're backed up, we're on our one, obviously, and we needed a play. And Eli came to me, I saw the ball come my way. I felt the defender kind of fall off inside, and all I needed to do was make a move. I made that move and was up the sideline and, and throwing the ball up against that wall, uh, you know, right up right when I was done. You know, I'd argue that's the most electric moment in the history of that stadium. Oh, you ever think about that? Now, listen, I think a lot of it is due to what has happened to the Giants mm -hmm. since you have left, since mm -hmm. Tom mm -hmm. Coughlin has left, since Eli Manning has left. But, I mean, I think about the biggest play in MetLife Stadium, really the biggest play in New York football over the last 12 wow. years. You're a part of it, dude. That's insane. I mean, just to hear it out loud like that is is pretty crazy. Um, and, and it's humbling because, you know, you put the work in. You just remember all your life playing football and dreaming of playing on the in the Super Bowl when you're playing on that one-way street with all your boys in the middle of the, of the road. So to actually play in it, score, you know, score a touchdown, have an, an impact on the team week in and week out, and, and really play to the best of my ability and have these landmark plays for such an iconic franchise, uh, you can't chalk it up any other way. When was the moment for you that year? that you felt like you were a part of a special team? Because obviously there were guys mm -hmm. who had won a Super Bowl a couple of years earlier against the Patriots. Mm -hmm. You're in the locker room. You're fighting week in and week out. Was it midway through the year? Was it getting into the playoffs? Or it's like, we can do this bad boy again. Yeah, I think it was halfway through the year. Ironically, when we went through a three-game skid, it was the middle of that season, and we lost three games in a row. But in our locker room, you could never tell. We were happy playing music. We have music on our field during practice. We're dancing. We're loose. And it was just something that was just like we knew what we had and we knew we just had to wait to kick it in gear. And whenever it actually all clicked at the same time, we were going to be a force to be reckoned with. And I think right just to have that, you know, that adversity halfway through the year and be able to fight through that with a smile and everyone not losing their heads. That's when you know we're a special team. Well, and you think about your run that year. Mm -hmm. You guys played elimination games from week 16 on. Mm -hmm. So you get to the Super Bowl. I mean, you guys won at Lambeau. You guys took down 15-1 Green Bay. <laughs> yeah. And then I've never seen a quarterback take a bigger beating than Eli Manning did against San Francisco. Like, when you think about the intense games you played that year, was that the most intense game you played going to overtime? Yeah, for sure. I always tell people that the NFC Championship game was the most physically grueling game I've ever played in, and the Super Bowl was the most mentally uh, challenging game I've ever played in because there's so much that goes into it 
uh, during the Super Bowl men- mentally, right? Like you got your family, you got your people, you have getting them tickets, getting them tickets. Oh, which I I bounce past that uh, that you know thing to my grandma. I mean to my mom real quick. Like I'm, nice. I'm not dealing with this. I'm not dealing with this. I like that. But all those things that happened during the Super Bowl, and then obviously the NFC Championship game, both teams are just fighting and scratching to make it to that Super Bowl. You could feel the energy and the tension uh, cut through that stadium, cut through the field almost with each and every play. And just to see Eli continue to get up, fix his chin strap, get the dirt out of his eye, adjust his pads, and get back under center and keep throwing that football and keep playing at the highest level. I always give the guy kudos, man, because he's to play at that level with that much riding on it and with so much history riding on it, his legacy, his career, and for him to have faith in a guy like myself and our, and our other teammates to fulfill and come through for him was, was special. You look back on it now, listen, winning a Super Bowl is awesome. It's mm-hmm. a life-changing experience. I'd argue the best coach and the best quarterback ever is Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Your franchise beat them twice. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd look back on that now. <laughs> I'd be telling my kids, grandkids, yeah, Tom may be the best to ever do it. Bill may be the best to ever do it. But we beat them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of the... And you can tell it still kind of irks Tom Brady to this oh, day. Oh, it bothers him. It bothers him. It bothers him. Especially, I mean, maybe That's 20. why he probably played an extra seven Exactly. Years. <laughs> He's like, no, I got to get, I need a couple more rings to make me feel better about myself. But I think when you think about, especially the one in 07, when they were undefeated and they really could have done something special and for the Giants to come in and, and play the way they did, straight hand and like the whole storyline, that, w- that was a special moment for the Giants organization. But 2011, you know, you kind of think the football gods might be in their favor. Like this is the second, you know, round two, Second time in under five years, like, what could happen here? You know what I mean? Like, so you got to go out there and play your best football, but we were always able to come out the other end and come out successful. Which you know, I bet on you to score a touchdown in that game. Did you? Yeah, that worked out well. I won't ask how much you won, but I need a drink later. Well, listen, I won. No, I think, I think Vic is paying. I think Vic is paying at that <laughs> got it. Okay. Listen, okay. that year you guys were cashed out for me. I think from the Jet game on, mm-hmm. I bet you guys every single game. Because you felt and, it. You felt uh, it. And you guys were plus money except yeah. <laughs> the Atlanta game. Okay. The Atlanta game, you were okay, laying, gotcha. I think, three points. But okay. you were big dogs against Green Bay, small dog against San Fran. Yeah. And then against the Pats, I'm like, yeah, ain't yeah. losing to the Pats, yeah, man. Yeah, at this point. Ain't losing to the Pats. I love it. Odell Beckham Jr., mm-hmm. you play with him. So he was a rock star with the Giants. Yep. He leaves the Giants, doesn't have success with the Browns. I got to own this, Victor. Yeah. I thought going to the Rams, it was going to be a disaster. I said, they're a team that's all in. Is Odell going to buy in? I couldn't have been more wrong. They would not be playing in the Super Bowl without his contributions and what he's bringing to the table. Um, did you expect this from Odell going to Los Angeles? I did. I did, mainly because I just know him. And A, he loves Los Angeles. He just, I feel like he's you know, at home, he's right? Just, he's Hollywood, He's man. at the crib He's Hollywood, too. I mean, but, a little you know, bit. A little, a little bit. bit. But he's, uh, he loves it here, man. And he loves playing here. And he loves the energy that Los Angeles brings. Obviously, he's matured a lot since then. And I think it's that maturity that has helped him be the player that we're seeing today. Because I think he had to go through those things in Cleveland. and had to kind of find his way through the Giants and grow within that process to, uh, of the things that have transpired and understand them and then understand how this game works and how the NFL works and how to use his talents and use what he does both on and off the field. But it took that maturity to get there. Now he's landed in the perfect spot for him to go win a Super Bowl, to achieve his dreams, at least his dream up until this moment, and has a, and has an opportunity long-term to be with a franchise that has an opportunity to win multiple championships and him be the focal point of that offense along with Cooper Cup and and the obviously the plethora of, of playmakers they have on that offense. You know, I'm not his agent. I think he's in the perfect spot. I know yep. he's a free agent. I know he's going to get paid. 
When you have a home, you have a home, Vic. A I home, think you man. should stay in Los Angeles. I mean, listen, I don't want to give him advice because, listen, $30 million <laughs> talks. I'll go play wherever for yeah. $30 more million. Dollars. <laughs> exactly. I know it's a business. Exactly. But for him and the comfort level he's found in that offense, you play alongside that guy, you might find your way into Canton, Ohio. Especially seeing what life is like outside. You've been to Cleveland. Like, you understand. You've seen life outside of the Giants organization. You've seen life outside of the – like, you know what the NFL has to offer. So you want to go where you feel at home, where you feel wanted, where you have success – where you could potentially win a Super Bowl. Like, that's where you want to play, and that's where you want to grow within the team. And I think he's got a, a receiving core that understands that. Like, Cooper Cup is a consummate professional. And I think uh, Odell can only continue to learn from guys like that around him day in and day out. You like where the Giant organization is headed? I love Joe Shane, love Brian Dable. Giant fans been down. I mean, since you were there, I mean, from 2015. It's been rough, man. It's been yeah, rough I mean, the idea of the Giants being in the playoff once out of, like, six or seven years, they're not used to that, Victor. Yeah. yeah, at all. And I think it, I do like the direction that they're heading in. I do like the energy that Coach Dayball brings to the table. Um, I just I just want – the biggest thing I want for this team is to look competitive out there. And, and, and I know I may not take this year, may not take a year, whatever it takes, but I want them to look competitive. You'll know when like it's heading in the right direction, right? Like there's it's a, a feeling. Look. It's there's a, a feeling. There's a look. There's a, a sense of pride. And I, I, I just don't know if towards the back end of these games – there was any pride that I saw out there on the football field. And I think that's what we got to get back to. But it only starts with having playmakers in position to make plays, having an offense that everyone believes in and that they're they're all in on, and to go out there and execute at the highest level and having the playmakers out there to do so. Um, and I think that's where they have their work cut out for them is to putting an offense around Daniel Jones, a crucial year for Daniel Jones, for him to be successful and put those playmakers around him to see exactly what he brings to the table. All right, Captain Morgan, I see this mm -hmm. punch bowl right here. here. If I didn't have to do television later, I'd be asking <laughs> for some of this punch bowl. Tell me what you got cooking with Captain Morgan. Yeah, we got the Captain Morgan Super Bowl punch bowl right here behind us. It's like probably the most unnecessary yet necessary thing for Super Bowl Sunday, I think it's right? Badass, so to be it's honest. four gallons, fits four gallons, can, can feed up to 32 people. There's a Bluetooth speaker underneath here that when you Bluetooth it up, the vibration from the sound in the speakers really kind of mixes your drink in Does there, Does it too. have a little, like, music for you to do a salsa dance while we're at it? Absolutely. Nice. If, we, if you want to set up a little salsa, that can happen. There's a scoreboard right there at the bottom that once you Bluetooth it, it'll keep score of the game live in real time. Nice. And then there's a little laser show that happens in the center of the bowl once you turn that thing on and get it going. Yeah. And I noticed, by the way, Victor Cruz wearing mm -hmm. a Yankee interlocking yeah. NY on his chain. Absolutely. My sister would be very jealous of that. <laughs> I can't pull off the bling like you guys can. Listen, thanks so much for doing this. Continued success. And uh, who knows? Victor Cruz, giant. You know, <laughs> when when we're seeing these Hall of Fame celebrations, it's cool, right? Like thinking about your very dudes, cool. Coughlin, cool. Eli. Now, make you feel old. You look like you could play a still, A little bit, dude. man. I'm like, that, that's, that's to think that Super Bowl was 10 whole years ago. I'm like, tell me about time it. time flies when you're having fun. Victor Cruz, thanks for doing this, man. Thank you very much, man. Appreciate it. How cool is that? Victor Cruz, and you want to talk about probably the most iconic play in New York sports over the last 12 years? It's that 99-yard touchdown reception. Christmas Eve against the Jets that in many ways altered history here in New York and might have helped propel the Hall of Fame cases of Tom Coughlin and Eli Manning. A little food for thought. All right, coming up next, one of my dudes from the Dolphins, and you're going to like this guy. Tell a little if factor about him. Jerome Baker, Man of the Year nominee, up next. Let's welcome in Jerome Baker from my beloved Miami Dolphins. And, Bake, I got to admit, we just had your second off-air. My first question to you was about the throwback uniforms yeah. for the Dolphins. I'm glad that everybody's on the same page. Definitely. We want them as the permanent uniforms. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, we all love them. We, we, uh, 
we got to talk to Mr. Ross about that one, but uh, we're, we're going to try to get it. <laughs> well, and I noticed that you were torn between the teal throwback yeah. and the white throwback is your favorite. Yeah. It's a tough decision. They're, they're both just iconic, and they're both just some dope jerseys. So, um, But my, my favorite, I'm going to lean towards the white. Well, it's amazing. I think about your rookie year, 2018. Yeah. Now you look, you're getting ready for 2022 this coming yeah. season. You're like one of the last holdovers, man. <laughs> Dude, you went through the Gaze regime. Yeah. You played through Brian Flores. And now you're going through a new head coach in Mike McDaniel. Is it crazy thinking about, you know, your time with the Dolphins and all the turnover on the roster? Yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely interesting. But, uh, you know, it's a business. And, you know, I definitely understand that. Uh, one thing consistent about, you know, the Dolphins organization is we all love football. We all want to win. And you can just see that that passion with, you know, Mr. Greer, Mr. Ross. Um, we all just have that passion and, you know, McDaniel, we, we just, I could just tell that he has that same drive and, you know, this year, that's all we just focus on is winning games and um, also we just win the Super Bowl. This year, high expectations going in. You guys get off to a one and seven start. Yeah. A lot of games, Jacksonville game, the Atlantic game, yeah. the Raider game that you easily could have had. Yeah. And then you guys get super red hot at the end of the year. What was the biggest difference, you think, from the one and seven team to the team that worked their way all the way back in the I playoff I think we contention? just all buy in. You know, we all just understood that we all have a job. We all have you know, our own roles, and we have to do that to the best of our ability. And we truly just wanted to just win games and play with each other and have fun with each other. You know, our team was unique about it. We were losing, but we still was together. Um, we it didn't seemed that our, way, too. Yeah, we, we didn't put our heads down. Because you know when a team's coming apart at the seams. You yeah. guys kind of all seem like yeah, tight We knew that like, we were tell. close. We were close. We were close. And... Uh, once we got that first win, we got that first taste of victory. We, we just we needed that. So, um, well, that know. zero blitz. Yeah, where oh, was yeah. that? Or, I mean, you guys started. I remember that Raven game on Thursday night. You guys started in the texting game, but the Raven game. You know, Lamar's yeah. coming in. The Ravens are red hot, and you guys are just sending the kitchen <laughs> sink at him. Were you guys like screaming at coaches in practice? Hey, we want to do more of this. No, it, it, it truly, uh, it, it's really just all you know, Boyer. He he does it, um, and once. He see it works one time, he just didn't shy away from it. And we all knew that, you know, it's given a lot of teams problems and we just kept doing it and kept executing it and it's been working for us. You just mentioned your defensive coordinator. Yeah. He's coming back now. Yes. Are you happy about that? I'm I mean, definitely happy. Well, because listen, happy. the idea of learning a new scheme and doing yeah. all sorts of stuff and defensively, I mean, if you guys can carry over yeah. what you guys did in the second half of the year for a full season, yeah. I mean, big, I'm looking at one of the best defenses in the NFL. Am I crazy to say that? No, not at all. We definitely know we can do that. Um, you know, we all believe Boyer 100%. Uh, me personally, I love Boyer as a coach. He's he's one of those guys that I just love playing, you know, for him. Um, and it's just exciting that we have that piece coming back, and now we just have to build off of that. Were you surprised at the end of the year, you know, you guys finished with a winning season, you sweep the Patriots, which is awesome. Yeah. Dolphin fans love the idea of sticking it to New England. Yeah. Then you get news that your coach gets let go. Was that a shock to a lot of your teammates? Yeah. Um, I, I, don't, I can't speak for everybody, but for me, it definitely was a shock. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a business. Um, you know, I, I believe in uh, Mr. Greer. I believe in Mr. Ross. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate. I, I will forever, you know, love Flo and everything he done for me. Um, I wish nothing but the best, but, you know, ultimately, it's a business. Um, it's just time to move forward and, we just have, you know, McDaniels now, and we just got to move forward now. Mike McDaniel, hear a lot of great things yeah. about him. Have you had an opportunity to talk with him yet? No, so I haven't had a, a chance to talk to him yet. Uh, as soon as I get back to Miami, I'm, I'm definitely I think that might be an him. interesting experience. Yeah. I've heard that. Yeah. 
So, so he seems no like no matter who I talk to that played underneath energy him, they up all the wazoo, say get ready. he's a he's a great guy. So I'm definitely excited. Okay, Tua gets a lot of he's like the the center of attention, man. Like he is like there are people <laughs> that love him. There yeah. are people that rag on him. You've been with him now the last couple of years. Yeah. What have you seen from him, from his development, from when he came in as a rookie to where he was at the end of the year? The one thing that never changed about Tua is he constantly wants to get better. He would do whatever so he works it takes. His ass off. He would do whatever it takes to get better. If it's coming up to defensive players, if it's staying the extra after practice, if it's uh, you know, just whatever it is, he's gonna get it done. If it's having something at his house to make sure the team is together, he's one of those guys that he just truly wants to get better. And you can see he's getting better. And I think you know, at the end of the, last year, we saw that he has that potential and he has that um, you know, that skill level. And, you know, this coming up year, you know, he's definitely gonna do great things for us. All right. Miami Dolphin now for a couple of years. What's your favorite win? Is it that miracle game? My favorite win? Or is it the pick uh, six against the Jets? I remember that one. Nah, My New York say. audience ain't going to like that, but I like that one. That I, was an ugly-ass <laughs> game, too. That, that, was, that was an interesting game. Um, my favorite game, that's a tough one. I think for me, it was, uh, i say it was this year, the Ravens game. You know, that was my first time playing at night officially. Uh, really? And we were the underdogs. We were just... We need, see, we need more off. Miami night games, by yeah, the way. Yeah, that was... Can that we get on that? I hope so. That was a Talk dope experience. Talk to the schedule makers. Talk <laughs> to Mr. Ross. That was definitely a dope experience, but I think that was my favorite favorite game by far. Final one. Man of the Year nominee. That's a very, very Russell. cool honor. It's a very special honor. Talk me through when you found out you were the Dolphins' choice. Man, it must have been like... That must have been like crazy. Yeah, it, it truly was a blessing. You know, just coming in into the league, you're just trying to find your way. Uh, for me, I just try to find my way in the community. I try to do as much as I can in the community. Uh, so I didn't really have an understanding what the award was. Um, as you get older and, you know, have years in the league, I truly understood that that award is just, it's the most prestigious award, you know, in the NFL. And uh, just to be nominated, it meant everything to me. It, it meant that, you know, I'm doing something right. And now I just continue doing it. And uh, just to be recognized, it truly meant everything to me. Jerome? You're a badass, man. Keep at it. I expect it. playoffs next year for the Miami Dolphins. For you like sure. the sound of that? Yeah, it definitely right, sounds good. Continue success. Thank you. Thank you. All right, voicemail time. And how do you leave a voicemail to New York, New York? It's very simple. 917-382-1151. And before we get to voicemails, the Matt Harvey story that came out earlier today, for anybody who was around the Mets at that time, and a lot of people have told me this in the past, that, Something was going on with Harvey. Remember, he missed the workout right before the postseason. He had that Cinco de Mayo thing where apparently he was all, you know, bent out of shape about his breakup with Ann V. And there were always rumblings about Matt Harvey using cocaine. That was something that I've heard from a lot of different people. And it's one of those things you don't want to go on record of saying because you hear things, you don't want to put your name to it until it ends up being proven. But... Basically, Matt Harvey was forced to testify in this Tyler Staggs thing. And really disturbing, disturbing case about how Staggs is getting all sorts of, of drugs and opioids and whatnot. Unfortunately, led to his death. But Harvey basically put on record today. Yeah, I was using cocaine. And I was using cocaine when I was with the New York Mets. That's a bad look, man. That's a bad look. I mean, I think a lot of people are saying, wow, we went through this with Dwight Gooden, Daryl Strawberry, and, you know, the 80s Mets. They tell me Matt Harvey in 2000. You see that bloody nose down. You're like, mm, well, what was going on there? You're happy that Harvey has cleaned up his life. You're absolutely happy about that. But my goodness. Ugly, ugly couple of days for Major League Baseball. They don't have their season starting. 
they have this sort of story leaking out. Well, not leaking out. It's already on record. It's out there. Really tough. Really, really tough. All right, voicemail time. 917-382-1151. That's where we make some magic. All right, Steph, let's hear it, baby. What's up, Jay? Steven, Brooklyn. I got to call and set the record straight about the Knicks real quick. So everyone's talking about this loss to the Thunder tonight as if it's the worst loss of the season. What a bad loss. I'm going to take the other side and say what a great loss because, you know what, this team's going nowhere. There's no point to chase the 10 seed and play Taj Gibson and Julius Randle and Nerlens Noel and all these veteran guys 35 minutes a night. Obviously, Tibbs is not going to change who he is. Tonight in the game against a tanking Thunder team, Obi, Cam Reddish, eight minutes apiece, quickly 14 minutes. So if that's not going to change, mind well just keep losing, keep making the case to get rid of Tibbs in the offseason and back up those L's and get a better draft pick. Because I'm not changing the 10 seed. I don't care about wins and losses. I care about the young guys playing. And Tibbs is not going to change. So at this point, just keep losing. That's my take on the Knicks, man. Keep the L coming. Let's get a high draft pick and let's get Tibbs out of here. See, they need to keep losing. I disagree on the head coach. The head coach is not the problem with this team. The team is not that good. The front office needs to be clear to Tom Thibodeau that younger players need to start getting time. We need to see more Obi Toppin. We need to see more Cam Reddish, whether or not he's a player or not, remains to be seen. I mean, you basically heard Isola basically tell you, let's not make Cam Reddish out to be some sort of stud. He has not been that throughout his NBA career, but you gave a first-round pick for him. These guys got to play. That's my issue with the head coach. Talent on this team, though. It, uh, last year, Tom Thibodeau is the, is the toast of the town. This year, he's the butt of all jokes. You got to be somewhere in between. Firing a coach after two years, what, to go hire Kenny Atkinson, who got the Nets to like a six or a seven seed? I like Kenny. He's a New York guy. He's got ties. We, we want to see New York guys do well. <laughs> you, you think the Knicks are that much better with Kenny Atkinson as a coach? Please. I, I have a hard time believing that. I just do. Who's next? JJ. Brian here from D.C. Shout out to another Syracuse alum. I can't believe this Knicks team, man. We have a coach, Tom Thibodeau, who is prioritizing playing these vets over a young player the Knicks have invested in over the long term, and he still can't be a team actively trying to lose. confidence is coach moving forward. He's hitting the development of our young players and prioritizing these veterans that are going to have zero impact on this team's long-term future. It's insane. This is another typical Knicks season where we don't prioritize developing our young players at all, and we're going to have the 8th, ninth, and 10th pick in the lottery, and we're probably going to draft somebody who's going to play behind Evan Ford near Alec Burks next year. This coach has to go. This was a concern bringing in Tibbs originally. This doesn't fit a team trying to rebuild, and he refuses to rebuild, or he refuses to adjust. His minutes distribution is insane. How come Obi Toppin and Cam Reddish, two players he invested, can't get on the floor or the 12th seed right now, and at best, where he gets smoked in the first round to play it. has to go. And what's concerning is that I don't think he will, because he's too close to Leon Rose, given their history, and they did nothing about it. They had to force his hand to trade that line of getting rid of some of these veterans to clear room for Cam and OB and Grimes, and they didn't do any of that. You know it's going to become with, like, the Knicks trying to tank, or we're going to see 40 minutes from Burks, 40 minutes from Fournier. This team, man, we had one good season of just a fourth seed, and we went wild, and we thought that we had 
finally some good direction with this team and said, they've gone insanely backwards. Thanks, JJ. Brian, I feel your point. I understand your point about the minutes. It's it's 100% accurate. I disagree, though, on the idea of firing the said coach. What does that accomplish exactly? The bigger issue is what did the front office do in the offseason? Five in the move that the front office made that worked out. And when it comes to young players developing, RJ Barrett has developed under this head coach, has he not? Quinn Grimes, when he's been out there, has he played at a high level? Has he developed over the course of this year? See, I, I don't necessarily buy that argument. The issue is guys who got paid a good amount of money are getting way too much burn. Fournier is getting way too much burn. Burks is getting way too much burn. Walker is getting way too much burn. All true. And can somebody figure out what has happened to Emmanuel quickly this year? I think the issue with quickly is he can't play on the ball. Quickly has got to play off the ball. He's better when he plays off the ball. So maybe the return of Derrick Rose would help in that regard. I don't know. Maybe that's a little food for thought. I've seen Tibbs develop young players. Look at Jimmy Butler. Look at what Jimmy Butler did from his time in Chicago by the end of his tenure in Chicago with Tibbs. You're going to tell me he didn't develop Jimmy Butler or he didn't develop Joe Kim Noah or Derrick Rose? They're all young guys. I don't like that argument with Tibbs. The minutes is a, it's a fair argument. The developing of young players, I, I, I for one, don't see it that way. But what do I know? Last but not least, then we'll have a little fun with trivia. Let's hear it for fun. Sean from the Beach House in Belmar, JJ, talking Knicks. Uh, I don't want to bring up the name Tony Burton. Actor, thespian, pugilist. People might not think they know the man, but the man worked with the greats. He worked with Steven Spielberg. He worked with Stanley Kubrick. He worked with Sidney Poitier. But you probably know him with sweat running down his face as the character of Tony the Duke Evers. Yelling out something that the Knicks need to hear. Throw the towel. Throw the towel. Throw the damn towel. Because the New York Knickerbockers 2022 season is Apollo Creed falling in slow motion, face first, towards the canvas. Knocked out, lights out, dead. That is the New York Knicks season after that loss at home. To Oklahoma City Thunder, I could live with the Jazz loss. I could live with the Laker loss. The Golden State game, that wasn't even a win. That was Golden State losing the game. And then the freaking Portland game. And now you come home after a West Coast road trip, JJ. <sighs> Done. It's college basketball time. I'm not gonna be watching Reddish. I'm not gonna be watching Grimes. I'm not excited. I'm not watching Barrett. I'm not watching Quickly. Regress. I'm not watching Randall. Regress. I'm not watching them. Not play Obi Toppin anymore. I'm throwing in the towel, JJ. It is Tankathon.com time. That is my only engagement with the New York Knicks for the rest of the year. Thanks, brother. And uh, congratulations on hitting your uh, futures bet on the Rams. But I did not expect a little Rocky reference. I mean, I, I think calling the Knicks Rocky right now is giving them too much credit. Rocky was a champ. They weren't knocked out by Club Lang. I feel like being out in L.A., by the way, when I was in downtown L.A., I felt like I should have been in one of those gyms, you know, with the – I had a tiger rocking. I'm there with Apollo. I'm there with Tony Burton and Duke, as he was in that movie. And uh, maybe, uh, maybe tomorrow before I leave, I'll recreate the uh, the beach scene. 
Maybe I'll snag Simmons out of the mansion and we'll have like the Apollo, Rocky, awkward hug. Or maybe it'll be me and Cousin Sal. Maybe that'll be the case. You never know. Cousin Sal is something, man. Let me tell you. What a what a character. And, and, and some of the stories that that guy was telling me. I mean, I don't even know if I can get into them on the podcast. Because I, I don't know if they've been unveiled with him and Simmons. So I don't want to like spoil their bit. Let me tell you. You can get dinner with Cousin Sal. Get dinner with Cousin Sal. If you ever meet him, you ever get a chance to know him. He's the, he's the best. He is the absolute best. All right, trivia time. Uh, back by popular demand. I'm stoked. Let's try not to suck. Let's hope that California has not taken away my edge. I doubt that. I doubt that. But let's hear it. Larry in Florida, the floor is yours. Yeah, Jay, Larry in Florida. Little trivia action. Question one. Stafford to Cup connected for 22 touchdowns this year, including playoffs. There's only one duo, one combination that had more. What passing duo is that? Question two is, there are three NBA centers with multiple with 40-point multiple triple doubles. What three are them? And they're all retired. Three centers with four multiple 40-point triple doubles. Three of them. All three are retired. I'm out. All right, Larry. I'm going to start with your football question. And I feel pretty confident about my answer. Because they were so off the damn rails in this particular year. Stefan, I'm going to say the duo that had more than 22 touchdowns, Stafford to Cup, Brady to Moss. See, I knew it, man. I knew it. They were electric that year. And I will never forget watching at Harry's Bar in Syracuse. Good all Harry's. For those of you who are Syracuse people, it's a scene, beautiful women, way too many lax bros, which is not my scene in any way, but listen, beautiful women, not a single guy was in my glory, but they used to do football Sunday. So I would be like hungover as balls Saturday night, rolling out of bed, and you'd have to get there to make sure that your game is on TV. So I'm a Dolphin fan. So, you know, I wanted to make sure the Dolphins are on, but they had like 10 zillion TVs. So Chet's Pats, uh, all the other games are on. And you know me, I always want to watch the locals, always like. You're a New York guy. You want to know what the Jets and the Giants are doing. Anyway, the Dolphin football team, or the, I'm not even going to say the name. I don't want to get in trouble. Uh, we don't need that. I, I don't need that today. Dolphins of Washington is on one TV. The Pat Jet game is on the other TV. And this is Brady and Moss's first game. When I saw Brady and Moss hook up on like, it was like bomb touchdown. I said, oh boy. The AFC East did for a long, long year. And that's exactly what happened in that 2007 season. And thank heavens for the New York Giants. I think the Cruz is New York Giants, but the first installment of that giant team that dethroned them and took care of business. I'll always be grateful. I'll always be thankful because I, I hated those Patriots teams. I really did. I don't hate the Patriots as much now. I hated that installment of the Patriots, especially when they were going for a perfect season. All right, so one down, one to go. Second question, I think is going to be a lot harder. Three NBA centers with multiple 40-point triple doubles, and they are all retired. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. 
All right, I'm going to start, Stefan, with Will Chamberlain. One down, two to go. My second choice is going to be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Two down, one to go. See, I mean, you're in L.A., you think historic centers, those are going to be your guys. The last guy I think is going to be tricky. But I think I know the answer. I think I know the answer. Stefan, is it Akeem the Dream Olajuwon? Ah! Ah! So close from perfection. So close. And I felt good about that, Stefan. I'm not going to lie, dude. Like, I was ready to drop the mic and walk off and uh, call it a show right there. I felt really good about that guess. Really good. Hmm. Moses Malone. Oh, all right, Stefan. Now it's time, bro. I think I need a little help here, buddy. Think I need a little help. What kind of hint would you like today, Jay? Hmm. I'll let you decide. Surprise me. Um, this guy is he is from you've watched him play. I'll start there. You watched him play. Okay, so I've seen him play. That's that's a good hint. That is a good hint. Is it Shaquille O'Neal? It's not Shaq. All right, are we calling? I'm getting housekeeping. You got to come back in a few minutes. I'm doing a podcast right now. 20 minutes. Thank you. Thank you. See, we're multitasking. I'm doing uh, I'm doing a podcast from the hotel. Housekeeping's trying to come in. No good. Not, not, not right now. I'm trying to do trivia. Are we counting this guy as a center? See, this is... I think I know my next guess, and I'm not sure he counts as a center. No, absolutely a center. Absolutely a center. All right, so I'm not I'm, I'm not going to throw this guy in there then. It's not Tim Duncan, right? Because do we count Tim Duncan as a center? I don't. No, it, it, Tim Duncan, we, 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 no, we count him as a power forward. Power forward. All right, yeah, because he's, all right, so it's not Duncan. I saw this guy play. Hmm. It's a very good question. It's a very, very good question. Is it David Robinson? Wow. There we go. That third one took a little grinding, but we find a way, Larry. We find a way. My trivia performance was quite good today. See, I needed housekeeping to interrupt me. That's what it comes down to. See, guys, I can multitask. You found a little magic in L.A., Jay. You found a little magic in L.A. I know, a little Hollywood glow, Stefan. That's what it boils down to. I got a little Hollywood glow, and I think I'm returning to mid-50s in New York on Thursday. You got to love that. All right, before we say goodbye, the great Jeff Money is with us. He's ready to roll. Jeff Money, the floor is yours. What's up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper. Picks is going to be for tomorrow, Wednesday the 16th. I got one college basketball game for you. I'm going to take Rutgers plus the four over Illinois. All right, again, I'm going to take Rutgers plus the four points. Everyone can always follow my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Rutgers has been terrific. Let me tell you something. As we really start to transition, doing a lot more college basketball on this pod over the next few weeks, 
Rutgers, with the wins they have had, they take down Purdue earlier in the year. They have a win over Wisconsin. They have a win over Ohio State. They have played themselves into the NCAA tournament conversation. Right now, it looks like Seton Hall will be there. Rutgers has a good chance to be there. St. John's needs a miracle. That's basically where you stand with the locals. And UConn will be there. They just got to figure out how they're going to score points. They're going to be tough. They're going to play hard-nosed for Dan Hurley. They got to figure out how they're going to score. And Iona, that's a team that's got no issues with scoring. Tell you, you're you're a big team. If you see Rick Pitino and Iona in the first round of the NCAA tournament, you are not going to be feeling good. You're not going to be feeling good. I'm giddy. That's... That is the next event I can't wait for. NCAA tournament and conference tournament week, where I'm just betting my ass off. It's in our backyard in New York. Big East in the Garden. ACC in Brooklyn. Going to have to wear out that 2-3 line. or that Yeah, it's the 2-3 line. Four line. We don't want to be on the east side. Come on, JJ. You got to know your subway routes. 2-3 line right to the Garden. Maybe a little afternoon matinee in Brooklyn. Maybe a nightcap at the Garden. Mm-hmm. Anything is possible. Stefan, fabulous job. Guess we're off the charts. We're back Thursday. And, you know, we might be a little earlier now if there are no games of local note. So stay tuned on that front. I'll actually be back from California. So we'll see what kind of mood I'm in. JJ out. Be good, everybody. 